The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Uh, there's a woman parked in her car. She's reversed into a parking spot. She's made a mess of it. I think it was her husband in the front seat. He's having a go at her. She's come back out. She's had another crack at it. She's made another mess of it. And she just stopped with the car sticking out of the road, just sticking like nobody moving. <laughs> so I drove past, keep the traffic moving, looked in, poor woman. I could see the anxiety, you know, like totally red all down here. You could see her. And then I realised it was my cousin. So I did that thing, you know, you blast a horn and do that. We fuck, we fuck, you playing that? <laughs> you lighten up, don't take yourself so serious. So I said, what the fuck are you playing at? And she turned around and she burst into tears. And then I realised it wasn't my cousin. <laughs> so I just drove off. That, of course, is the wonderful Jim Owen, and he is touring currently. He has shipped himself all the way across from the Antipodes, which is where he currently lives and has lived for some time. But his home place, of course, is Port Stewart. He's touring with Who's Your Man? It's uh, coming to Vicker Street on October 12th and 15th, and then, of course, the Galway Comedy Festival October 24th and 25th. And if you are so inclined, you can go north of the border and find him in Belfast, because I think that's where the tour ultimately ends up. Jim, how are you? If you're so inclined. <laughs> well, you know, there's some who never make that leap. I told, well, I hired a car at the uh, the airport and he said, are you going over the border? And I, yeah. And what? You're <laughs> <laughs> like, just Mandatory. What? And they charge you a fortune for going over the border. They charge you more for going over the border? Oh, they yes, don't. absolutely. Do they? Yeah, it's like How a drop-off fee. It's oh, because like you're it, leaving it, it in Belfast. So, no, I'm not leaving it in Belfast. I'm leaving uh, but if you have to go, that's a different insurance. They get you again. No, they get you. they do. Is it? Uh-huh. That's because of Brexit. Uh, before Brexit, they no. always they always did it to you. When did you leave Port Stewart? Uh, just after breakfast. Um, <laughs> the, what, what a mess that was! My God. Oh, that's anyway, not. That's um, not. When did I leave Port Stewart? Uh, Nineteen eighty-four. I went to London for four years. I went to college um, to do building management. And uh, yeah, so I spent the first four years in London. Did you manage buildings or did you just get the qualification I in just building got the management? qualification, which actually gave me my residency to Australia, so it served its purpose. And I worked on building sites for two or three years. Um, in the UK? In the UK and in Australia. I thought you no, were a gardener in Australia. No, no. Oh, you never gardener. gardened? No, gardener. Yeah, no, I did a bit of car- gardening in London. Yeah, I think it's in Wikipedia. I might be on. Yeah, I might have to crack But is that. it a lie about your gardening? You you have no horticultural ability. No, is that what I'm whatsoever. But oh. I used to build retaining walls for people uh, in in garden. So I did a bit of that. Did you in ever? London. Did you ever build one of the windy walls, which I believe is the most efficient of walls? Yeah, I did. Yeah, out of brick. Yeah, my father eventually came and helped me do it because we got because it's boulder clay in London. It's horrible stuff to try and dig. It sucks the su- shovel. The enemy. Hang on. <laughs> did your father have expertise in the building game? Yeah, he did. He was a builder, yeah. Was he? All my uncles, all my cousins were all builders. He was kind of a stonemason. My grandfather was a stonemason. Mm. Is there anything that your grandfather built that you have seen? Yeah, yeah. I'm, and my father as well. Uh, in England, in Leamington Spa, there's a wall. Every time I go past it, my sister daddy built that wall. And uh, yeah. That must be kind of cool. Mm. So what it's did, a well-built wall, like a really, you know... But it's still there, I And it's still there, yeah. 
What did they make, oh, not necessarily your grandfather, but what did your father make of you giving up a good and stable career like being in building and, and building management to go standing up? Uh, well, he never really wanted us to go on to a building side. Because I've got young kids too at the minute. And my son's doing building management. But my father didn't want, he just didn't want his son on a building site. He, he was one he said, you know, you're just covered in muck and it's hard work and... Uh, and it was really kind of good when I was young, but, you know, I, I can understand, you know, that thing that you're thinking of your kids, I hope they don't end up having to do hard work. Like, I, I, I didn't do hard work, but my father did hard work. Uh, and so he was very pleased for the fact that I was able to dodge hard work, which is what stand-up was. I was trying to find a job where I didn't have to get up, you know, in the dark, like you do on a building site and finish in the dark, and you work Saturdays as well. There's a lot to be said for always being inside a warm room. Mm. Lot yeah, to be said because yeah, yeah. yeah, even yeah. a stressful day inside a warm, dry room is not the same as a stressful yeah. day in a and ditch. And once you get, once your feet got wet, that was your day done. If you got a little bit of a damp sock, you were the day was you were done. There was no coming back from that, really, was there? Just, no. And even if you change the sock, the boot still gets yeah, the next yeah, one yeah. wet. It's it's a it's, you're you're caught forever. There seem to be a lot more drafts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you, if you didn't have your t-shirt tucked in properly, and there's a little bit of a gap between your uh, top of your trousers, you could just feel that. You could have, you know. Well, you see, you would have been on site in the jeans era before the Snickers pants. Like that, that was a yeah. different time. There was a draftier time, thanks to the garments that you were forced to wear. Yeah, we didn't have high vis. There definitely wasn't any high vis. How did anybody know where you were? Yeah, that's the point. Isn't it? Well, we seemed to get on. We seemed to survive. Why did you go to Australia? Well, I'd been in. London for four years. I finished my course, and half of my course was you had to be on site, so you had to be on a building site from April to September. And then, so I finished the course in April, went straight on to a building site, Walthamstow Prison, and I worked on that for pretty much a year. You did uh, part of the construction of Walthamstow Prison, yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did the take it out, take it out of the ground. It was built in sand. So, yeah, the piles were displacement drive piles and then we built the manholes on top of it and um, you know just got the thing out of the ground but it was a year of, like driving now, What's it, the pile made? Is it precast concrete or what do you drive them? What's the pile that goes in? Displacement piles because so that's uh, that, that's pumped sand so you would there's different oh, types auger and then Yeah, yeah the the machine would bang the head of the the, the pile would come in pre-made and the thing would bang it down to a certain depth until it was solid and then you'd have the starter bar sticking up and then you'd put a big pad for the manhole. So the whole thing's, you know, in, in sand. Um, which and is are not you great for tunnelling. <laughs> if you're stuck in a prison, you can't tunnel out. That's maybe why... Was that just built. a fortuitous accident or was that a deliberate part of the design? That's probably why they did it there, yeah. So hang on yeah. a minute. We, I focused too much on the piles and not enough on the Australia. You you had worked in Walthamstow Prison. Yeah, I did a year. I've already... I did a year before they even <laughs> freaking built the thing. Uh, and it was hard work, like six days a week. And there were a bunch of Irish guys. I, I had a had a Volkswagen Beetle, and I'd pick people up going to to work. So by the time we got from West London to Walthamstow, there were six of us in the car in a Beetle, in a Beetle, yeah, rammed. And uh, and then I just thought, if I'm going to be working outside, I want to be somewhere warm. And it was a bicentennial year, uh, and I, it must have fallen on a Saturday because I came home from work, and it was January. And it was on the telly and it looked divine. And it didn't click with me that that was summer there. I just thought, 
oh my god, that's that's a permanent state. <laughs> middle of winter, and it's like that must be divine in the summer. So uh, within within February the third, oh no no March the third, I arrived in. So within a month, I'd gone to Australia. One way ticket, Aeroflot. Aeroflot. Did Aeroflot. Aeroflot go from UK to Australia? Yeah, yeah. It was a brave uh, choice. On a four hour, she had to stop every four hours to refuel. So the first stop was Moscow, and that just felt like such a bizarre place. And it, um, the snow plough had, had to clear the runway. And then next stop, Siberia. You go further up. I couldn't go further or further. And then, and then at Singapore, down into uh, Jakarta, and then to, to Sydney. When was this? 1942? 19, <laughs> 1888. <laughs> 1988. Although my uncle, Michael Fox, no, my my granny's cousin, Michael Michael Fox, Michael J. Fox, that's his, that was his name, Michael J. Fox, he arrived in Australia and the bridge was coming together, 1936. He, he came out. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, imagine coming just and seeing the bridge. Isn't, isn't there a comedian link to the bridge? Didn't what's his features? Wasn't that his career before he he made it? Paul, Paul Hogan, yeah, yeah. He was a, he did bridge maintenance and painting yeah, on the Sydney right, Harbour yeah. Bridge, didn't he? Yeah, he did for a long time. Yeah, he didn't. His career didn't come to. It was in his thirties before he started becoming a stand-up. Yeah, I think he was on the bridge for fourteen years or something. So, how did you get from? Going into Australia to drive uh, piles and, and build further prisons, which was your milieu at the time, into stand-up. What what caused you to say I can? Well, I went to it's a not pub, a logical leap. It's not. But I went to a pub one night, and uh, on a Monday, and I, there was a comedy in one of the rooms, and we were in the other room uh, playing pool, and they were looking for tryouts, which is a regular thing. And a girl that we were with said. Uh, he'll get up. She put my name down, so we all get in, and I got up and told jokes. I had no understanding, no, you know, I'd never seen it before, so I thought you were just telling. So I just told a joke, and they started laughing at me because I was telling a joke. Like nobody tells jokes, don't be ridiculous. And I thought they'd heard it because they started laughing. I've oh, you know that one, all right, all right, all right, what was this one? And then they were laughing at the fact that I was going, you know, what well, I hadn't planned to do that, and I hadn't, I didn't, I was getting laughs where I wasn't. I didn't know I was getting laughs. And then I watched the rest of the night and was blown away. I just thought, this is... Because all we ever did was go to pubs. Like, we... You wouldn't go to... You know, your mum used to make you go and see a play. And, you know, you go and see a band, but you'd always get hammered and you couldn't remember. And this was somewhere in between the two. It was halfway between a play and halfway... Like, it kind of seemed, like, anarchic and chaotic, but at the same time, it was just better than just going to a pub. So... I was really taken by it. But the other thing, we were hanging around with nobody but Irish people. So you couldn't get beyond Irish people. Uh, and then every six months, the, the Irish group you knew, they were moving, going, travelling, and then you were starting again. So this was a, it was a really good way of meeting a, you know another group of people. Like it could have been ballroom dancing. I could have had a crack at that and thought, oh, this is fun. I'll come again next week. And there do must it. be a different feeling though. Like whatever about doing ballroom dancing and doing it well, but there I must be a great was... feeling of having a crowd laugh at you. That did like when it's yeah, intended. yeah, yeah. But it was, it was, and it just took off. It really, and because I kind of hadn't watched too much of it, I was able to find my own voice because I hadn't really studied the form. Or I talked to other comics, and they'd watched it for years, and they were nerds. They knew everything about stand up and. 
Oh, I had already done it before I realised what it was I was doing. So, yeah, it was a kind of nice introduction to it. And then I found my own voice, and it just took off. I had a strong accent, which... And they didn't see it, like, as a Northern Ireland accent. They just thought it was, like, a nice, sweet accent. One of your best... <laughs> I, I don't mean to um, sell out your material by mentioning it, but one of your bits about the Australians attempting to lip-read a Port Stewart accent <laughs> is genius. <laughs> it's highly entertaining. Yeah, Port Stewart, Port Stewart, yeah. But, yeah, I see, like, people at the bar, like, if I'm selling at a bar in Australia and I see, look across the bar and I can see someone's lips moving, I'll go where I go, you're from Northern Ireland. I can tell just by the way their lips... You are. can lip-read an accent. Lip-read an accent. But I sometimes confuse it with Canadian. I'll go over... And they always happen to be nice, really attractive Canadian girls. <laughs> As why my wife they, has noticed. Why did the, the call of home never uh, drag you back? Why did the what? The call of home never drag you back. I don't know, yeah. Like, Northern Ireland wasn't really enjoyable back then. Uh, I didn't I didn't like the place. Uh, and I, I wanted to go and, tr- and travel. And I didn't really like uh, London. Uh, and I had a group of people that were from the same street as me family and there's nine of them and loads of them had gone over to Australia so there was a sofa to surf on and there was somewhere you know someone had gone over the over the wire before us there and, are uh, two things about Australia well there's two things that I want to ask you about before we wrap up one relates to Australia which is I saw you quoted as saying that you had decided to follow Australian football teams because Ireland and I'm paraphrasing slightly was crap at everything related to sport Given our recent performance and our status in the Rugby World Cup, are you considering reversing that Yeah, choice? well, actually, Good. yeah. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing that. But we never, like, the North, you didn't play rugby. We never saw rugby. We're an all-island team. I know, You've I got know, Queens and Brown, all them lads. This is how it was up the North. Uh, but now I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. And I love AFL football. And they have quite a number of Irish players that go over there, uh, Finally you know, make some proper money. There, and Connor McKenna, a guy from Tyrone, he was in the in the AFL Grand Final, and he's a, like, and they talk about his skills. Loads of the Irish people, Ty Keneally, and of course the, Jim Stein's the first one that went out. Uh, I, I knew him very well. He passed away unfortunately, and another one, Sean White, and they're all they're all brought out, and they play Gaelic, and they went out to play AFL. Second thing I have to ask you about is, obviously this is radio, so it'll require a small bit of description, but for those listening in black and white, you are wearing um, a, a shirt that is, very, now it's obviously a much smaller one because you're a thinner man, but it's like what Norman Schwarzkopf wore to do the briefings in the yes, early stage of yeah, Desert yeah. Storm. It's full-on desert camouflage. And on one arm you have a Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here <laughs> um, patch, and on the other, One Love by Bob Marley. Yeah. Should I read something into this? Yeah, well, more than the fact that Schwarzkopf didn't have those on his arms. It's true, he didn't, not that yeah, I recall. Yes. I recall that. <laughs> That very well, that whole Is it of your stone. own design, this? It is, yeah. yeah you well, sold them on yourself? No, I went, uh, a, like, I have nothing to do through the day. I'll walk the streets, and I don't know where I was. Uh, I bought but, this jacket at an op shop, and then I was somewhere, and I bought, I was at a market, it might have been in Cambridge, and I saw those two badges, and then... I bought them. They're freaking more to sew on than they were to the bag. <laughs> I took it to uh, alter, What is it, like 20, 20 pounds a piece probably to sew them on, is it? Or, or <laughs> Alter- alteration shop. 
Oh, not an altercation shop, God. But, it's um, a smaller market, an altercation shop, yeah, it has yeah, to be said. But yeah, when you really want one. <laughs> Jim Owen is touring with Who's Your Man? Uh, he is going to be in Vicker Street, October 12th and 15th, Galway Comedy Festival, uh, October 24th and 25th. And if you want to know the dates north of the border, that comes at an additional fee. Jim Owen, yes. thank you very much. Cheers. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.